0: to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 13. We'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through uh, 15, uh, 1 through 14 uh, this morning. Uh, one of my favorite uh, inventions of, uh, of modern times is uh, carbon fiber. And if you don't know about carbon fiber, uh, I need to let you know it's probably the greatest substance ever forget it, uh, invented because it's just these little small strands of uh, of fiber. And they are strong as aluminum, strong as steel, strong as just about anything. And uh, they are able to flex in ways that steel and other materials uh, can't. And what's really, really great about them and what I really, really love about them is that they're so much more lighter than things like steel or aluminum or other things that uh, you would uh, want to make something with. And I remember uh, uh, when I was uh, you know, uh, getting started into uh, to biking, I got this uh, carbon fiber bike. And it was so much lighter than all the other bikes that I have. You, know, you just take it with one finger and, uh, and lift it up. And it was so great because it was so light, and, and it's at that point that I realized I want everything that I have made out of carbon fiber. I mean, I had, uh, you know, just carbon fiber shoes, carbon fiber, just everything, because it just, I just thought it was such a, a neat material, and they even used it in, um, in medical uh, procedures and in uh, medical treatments and things like that. I had a friend one time, he was having, a, uh, he was having to have a heart valve uh, replaced, and they gave him the option, and he talked to me about it. Said, Well, they want me to know they want to know if I want the carbon fiber valve or if I want the pig valve. And I was like, Well, that's an that's a easy one for me. I don't want no pig valve because I'm afraid if I got the pig valve, I'll start feeling guilty when I eat ribs. And I don't want to feel guilty when I'm eating barbecue. So you need to get that carbon fiber valve. And I said, and I determined in my heart that eventually I wanted just every part of my body. Replaced with carbon fiber because I figured that's the only way that I was going to be able to lose weight. Carbon fiber is used a lot in uh, in sports as well. A lot of these kids now have these uh, very very uh, expensive carbon fiber uh, baseball and softball bats, and they have them because they're so much lighter and because of their property of uh, of being able to flex and return from that flex when they hit that ball that uh, that. Bat flexes back and it just shoots that ball over the fence. And it makes all of these uh, little kids who normally couldn't hit the ball over the fence, now they're just able to, to shoot it over. But it's in sports that you realize one of the great flaws of carbon fiber is that it is sometimes very, very rigid and sometimes very brittle. And if any part of that fiber strand, that any part of that fiber weave, kind of cracks or breaks, it's a compromise that will eventually cause the whole thing to fail. And one of the sports uh, implications that they have is with hockey sticks. And I love me some hockey. And one of the things with a hockey stick is that they could grab a stick and they could go out there on the ice. And that stick can have just this little minute fracture of a compromise. And you can't see it. And you don't know it. And so you go out there thinking that you have a strong stick. And there you are. You are there on the ice. And you're the last one of your defenders there back. And the puck comes to you. And you get ready to shoot that puck. And you bring it down. And that stick just snaps in half. And the truth of the matter is soon, as that player picked up that stick and skated on that ice, that stick was destined to break and let him down. This morning we talk about, Sam, we talk about uh, Saul. And this morning we get to see a revelation. We get to see a reveal. We get to see how God tests the strength of our faith and our relationship with God. And what we find is that if we have this small fracture, then our faith and our relationship with God is destined to let us down when we need it the most. Let's look at Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Let's begin with verse number 1 and let's read together. It says, Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul... Uh, chose three thousand men of Israel. Two thousand uh, were with Saul at at Mishmash and the hill country of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people had we sent home, and every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at, at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all of the land, saying, "Let the Hebrews hear." And all of Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen uh, and troops like the sand of the seashore in multitude. They came up. And encamped at, Michmash, at Mishmash in the east of Beth-haven. Beth-haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes, and in the rocks of the tombs of the cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land that God, to the land of Gad and Gilad. Saul was at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. And so Saul said, "'Bring the burnt offerings here to me, and the peace offerings.'" And he offered the burnt offerings, and as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come with the days appointed. Then the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, and I said, Now the Philistines will come and draw against us at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offerings. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, from which you had commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom forever in Israel. But now your kingdom shall come to an end. And the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not commanded what the Lord had commanded you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day. Lord, that you give us, Lord, the opportunity that we have to just come here, Lord, and just to study your word, Lord, and to sing praises. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, just during these few moments, Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, that you will open up our hearts. Lord, that you'll hear us and that we will hear you. And Lord, that you'll allow us during this time to examine ourselves and examine our hearts. Lord, to say, Lord, do we have strong faith? Are we truly have a heart for you? Or do we have a faith? Do we have a trust that's destined to break at the first sign of adversity? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I guess the first thing that we need to uh establish and it, it may give us a clue of what uh what the problems these uh people encountered with Saul because verse one says that, you know, when Saul uh says that uh let me get back here. And it says that uh said Saul lived for one years and then became king. Now you may be thinking well, there's a start of your problem. You go, you got a one-year-old that you're making king. And um in your uh, Bibles, depending on what your translation that you have, this is uh, rendered a little bit differently because the Hebrew is quite difficult. And people don't really know uh, if there's some numbers here that are, are missing or whether we just don't understand what these, uh, what these verses actually mean. And as you read through your... Um, your Old Testament, especially if you use a study Bible or a Bible with uh, extensive uh, footnotes, you'll see various markings throughout the Old Testament, various scriptures and that will say things like the Hebrew is uh, unknown or it's uh, really not understood uh, what this means. And it's very common in, through the Hebrew uh, language in those translations since it's older for us not to uh, to understand. And uh, some of the uh, newer are the translations that seek to have uh, Make sure there's a clear meaning in every verse. They will assume that there's some numbers missing. And uh, they will uh, insert these numbers of his reign. In other words, what he began to reign when he was 30 years old and that uh, he reigned till he was 42. They'll just insert those numbers. And uh, other translations like uh, the King James Version, ESV, and some of those others will we'll just uh, write it like it said and uh, just let you figure it out on your own or just let it be uh, confusing as it is confusing and say that uh, he was one year old and then he became king uh, for two years. And so that aside, what we really see with, with Saul happening here is we see the beginning of his reign. And the beginning of his reign starts with a great, fig, uh, great victory. There they are at, at Mishmash, or however you want to say it. I think Mishmash is the way we're going to say it because that's just a lot of fun. I'd love to live in a town called Mishmash. But anyway, there they were, and they were coming against the, the Philistines. And he has summoned together 3,000 troops. 2,000 he went with him, and another 1,000 went with Jonathan. And so Jonathan goes out and he defeats this garrison. And after that first victory, buddy, Saul says, I want everybody to know. And so they blow the trumpet, they start the band, and they have it spread out through all the land. All the land that Saul had defeated the Philistines, buddy, and they sung a song, they did a dance, and everybody was excited about what God had done. It seemed to be on such a good foundation. It seemed to be working so well. But then things got real. Then things got real. Because not only did the people of Israel hear about it, but the people of Philistine. And the Scripture says that the people of Israel became a stench to the Philistines. And so they said, look, we're not going to take this from little old Israel. We're not going to put up with this rebellion. So they summoned up 30,000 chariots and horsemen, more soldiers than the sand on the seashore. And they were ready to go against the people of Israel. Now Israel's scared. Now Israel's running. And they're hiding and they're ducking and they're in caves and they're crossing over Jordan to the other side and they're trembling in fear. And Saul is thinking about what are we going to do? You see, God wanted to bring a test in Saul's life to show really what the condition of his heart was like. And God's going to send tests. He's going to bring situations in your life for the purpose of testing you to see what the response would be, to see what the level of strength is going to be, to see what the true measure of our faith really is. Because it's easy after one little victory to get all excited. But when we really get pressed When we really face opposition, we really find who we are. And we really find out the test and the measure of what we look like and what our faith is. And there's two ways to respond to this type of testing. Some people don't like to be tested. Some people don't like to be put in those situations where they are exposed, where their weaknesses are revealed, where their shortcomings are laid out before everybody. And so they want to avoid the test. And I would probably, along with all of you, put myself in this group. I don't want to be tested. I don't want it to be revealed what my flaws are. I want to run away from tests. I want to run away from obstacles. I want to run away from hard times because I don't want the faults in my heart, the faults in my relationship with God, to be exposed. I don't want it to be tested. You know, we're kind of like uh, we're kind of like used car salesmen taking you for a test drive in a in a car, and they don't want you to know. They don't want you to know that engine's about to go out. They don't want you to know the transmission's bad, and so they don't want you to drive that thing very long. They don't want you out there kicking the tires. And uh, if you ask to look under the hood, they're like, uh, well, I don't know how to open the hood, so we can't look in the hood. They don't want you to look it inside. They don't want you to find what the faults are because they want you to think, man, this is just this great pristine car, you know, that's uh, a great value, and it was just driven by an old lady to church on Sundays. They don't want you to see the flaws. They don't want to let you to see the fault, and so they avoid the tests. And then there are those, then there are those who take joy in the tests. Remember, we learned about Samuel last week, and when he was there uh, before the people, and uh, he said, "Look, I don't think I've defrauded anybody." But then he asked, "Is there any of you among here that I've done wrong? Because if I've done wrong," I want to make it right. There are some people that have that strength in their relationship with God and strength in their faith and their closeness with God to say, I want want to be tested because if there's any flaw in me, if there's any part that's going to break, if there's any lack, I want it to be revealed. I want it to be exposed because I want to fix it. And I want to make it right. And I want to get that area of my life right. Can we all be like that? Can we all be people who want God to put the pressure on us, to reveal in our hearts that we could actually say, God, I want to be more like you. God, I want to have strong faith in you. And if there's any lack in my walk and in my relationship with you, I want you to show it to me. But you know what? You may like tests. You may not like tests. But God testing the strength of our faith is a part of being a disciple. Think about the original disciples. Think about how God tested them. Think about the time that they were in there in the storm. And um and the seas got rocky and they got scared and they went to Jesus and said, Jesus, do something. And Jesus looked at them and said, Your faith is weak. They got exposed. And then they were there, and there were crowds there. And the uh, the disciples were like, Look, man, you send these people home so they go get something to eat. And Jesus looks at them and says, You give them something to eat. And they said, Well, look, we don't have nothing. You know, we don't have enough food to feed these people. We Ain't enough food around here to feed all these people. And Jesus looked at them and said, Your faith is weak. And then Jesus was there and he walked to them while they were, while they were rowing in the boat. And Peter said, Jesus, if that's you, let me, uh, let me come out to you. So Peter walks on water and then he hears the waves and he looks down and he falls in the water and then he's screaming and in, Jesus, save me, help me. And Jesus said, your faith is weak. He put those tests not to make fun of them, not to belittle them, but he wanted to test their faith to the point that it would break so that God could strengthen their faith so they can learn more about Jesus. In our walk with God, he is going to bring situations, he's gonna bring things, and he's gonna bring people in our life that are going to expose what the quality of our faith is. And God says, I wanna show you. I wanna show you what type of person Saul really is. And so here comes the people and here comes the army and Saul gets scared because the people are, are leaving him. And, uh, you know, you can just hear him, uh, looking around. It's like, man, everybody's leaving me. All these people are coming. I need to. I need to do something. I need, I need to, to fix these things. I need to, I need, you know, all these excuses that he's making. He's saying, I, I need to do something. And then what does he do? He makes an unlawful sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel had a had, uh, had said, look, I'll give you seven days, and uh, then I'm going to come make this sacrifice. But you wait for me. But Saul got impatient because God wasn't working on Saul's time. Isn't that normally the way that God will test us is with time? Because we get so impatient. We want God to work for us now. We want God to do for us now. And when that time runs out and when we run out of our patience, we start doing things the way that we want to do. Isn't that the way that we usually get tested? Is that when we face pressures from the people around us, when everybody starts deserting us, when everybody else starts getting scared, when everybody starts making fun of us, isn't that when we're tempted to compromise and to turn away from the Lord? That's when we're tested. God will test us. Isn't that the way that God will test us? He will give us seemingly impossible odds. He will put us in predicaments where it seems like He is the only one that could save us and to see if we will actually trust Him. God will send us these tests. And He tested Saul. And the quality of his faith. And his faith snapped. At the first sign of delay, at the first sign of things not working out the way that he wanted to, at the first sign of the fear of the people, at the first sign of desertion, his faith snapped. And so Samuel shows up. Just after he makes this sacrifice, and, um, and he goes, "Man, what have you done?" And you can hear Saul making the excuses, "Well well, 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 well you know the, the people were coming and, 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 and the people were deserting me, and I, I was scared, and I, I knew that we haven't asked the Lord yet, and, and you're you late, so I just, I just took matters into my own hands. And then Samuel looked at him and said, "You fool." You fool. If you would have obeyed God, he would establish your kingdom forever. But because you disobeyed, I'm taking away your kingdom. And the Lord hath searched, and he has found a man after God's own heart. What had happened? God knew Saul's heart. But to everybody else, he looked like the right king. He looked like the strong person. He looked like he had the relationship with God. He had all the signs. He had all the credentials. But God knew at the first time of his testing, he would snap. His faith would snap because deep down inside, his heart was not after the Lord. What does it mean? What does it mean to have a heart, to be after God's own heart? Well, first of all, I think we can see, or we should see, well, what does it mean to not be after God's own heart? What does it mean to not be solely committed in your heart or hearts to following Jesus Christ? What does that look like? We see that in some of, uh, of Samuel. And... What he wants us to know is that just because you have the right knowledge doesn't mean you have a right relationship with God. Just because you knew all the facts, just because you know all the answers, just because you have all the Scripture doesn't mean that your heart is after God. Saul knew what to do. He just didn't do it. And that describes so much of us in the church today, isn't it? We know what to do, we just don't do it. It was the theme of what Jesus encountered through the Pharisees and through the scribes. They could tell you everything about the scriptures, but they didn't obey When Jesus gave his woes to the Pharisees, he said, Woe to the Pharisees. Do what they say because uh, they sit on the seat of Moses. They don't know the answers. And he says, But do not do as they do. They know all the right answers. If you ask them the question, they can tell you about the Scripture. But if you look at their life, you'll see they don't have a heart after God. You don't have a heart for God just because of your knowledge. You don't have a heart for God just because you have had an amazing experience with God. Think about what Saul got to experience, that God had touched him when Samuel had anointed him, and he went out, buddy, and he was speaking in tongues, and he was prophesying, and people were saying, man, is Saul, one of the prophets, and he assumed just because of that a great experience, the people assume assume, just because of that great experience, he had a heart for God. But oh no, his heart was far away from the Lord. You may think that our someone has a great relationship with God because they can tell you about a great experience of how they heard God speak. Or see what God has done. But that doesn't mean you had a heart for the Lord. Nor does it mean you have a heart for the Lord. If God has worked through you to do something. Samuel had a great victory in chapter 11. And he had this initial great victory with the people of of Mishmash. But that doesn't mean his heart was with the Lord. And we see all through scriptures. That God used people who were the furthest away from God and he used them and he accomplished his will for them, but yet their hearts were far away from him. We think about Balaam and his donkey. God impressed upon him and God used him to do what it was, but it wasn't in his heart. And we saw what the end result was that. He did everything that God had told him to do. But then he sold the people out and told them how they could defeat him. You think about how God worked through Nebuchadnezzar. God used him and did things through him to accomplish his purpose. But his heart was far away from God. We all remember the alarms that we hear in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, winner of the kingdom of God, and then what will those people say, man, God, you've done all kinds of great things through me. I've prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. But Jesus says, I don't know you. And why do I not know you? Because you never gave your heart to me. And so it doesn't mean that we have a heart for God just because we know, just because we've experienced just because we've uh, God's worked through us, but what does it mean to truly have to, or to be a person after god's own heart? What does it truly mean to have a heart for God and I thought about this throughout the week, and uh, I had various uh lists and I had various uh, pages, and I had all kinds of things to uh, to tell you that would keep us here till Wednesday but I think when it all boils down, I thought about it like this. And this would be the best way for us to say it. A person who is after God's own heart treats God like he's an actual person. I want you to think about that. That you actually treat God like he really is real. That you truly believe that God is alive, that he is a person that hears us and talks to us and that he is who he says he is, that he is the creator. Think about this. If you really believe God is the creator, won't you treat him differently? If we believe in our heart that he is truly all-powerful, that will change the way that we treat God. That'll change the way that we live our life. Do we really believe that God saves deep down? Because if we truly believe that, it'll change the way that we live our life. Do we believe that God hates sin and that God Punish us when we disobey. Guys, if we really believe that God hated sin and that God would punish those who sin against him, if we truly believed it, I guarantee you we would all live differently. But we don't. We don't obey. We don't listen. Because deep down in our hearts, We may not even believe. We say all the right things. We look the part. But we know, and God knows, that's the first sign of trouble. When you're truly put to the test, your faith will snap because your heart never was of the Lord. What does it mean to be after God's heart? How would we respond differently? Well, the first thing we would do is we would obey the Lord. We would obey the words that he said. When he gives us instructions through his word, and when we feel him convicting us in our hearts, then we would respond to him if we truly have the heart for God. And if we truly have a heart for God, if we are truly after him, we will wait on the Lord we will know that we will know that we are helpless without him. We know that we can't accomplish anything without him. And so we know that if we don't have the Lord, we can do nothing. And so if the Lord isn't moving yet, we're not moving either. We wait. We wait for the Lord. And also, we have the same desires. We have the same desires of the Lord. What's on God's heart? God's heart is for his creation. God's heart is for his people. God's heart is for no one to perish, but for all to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we share that heart? You know, I lost a good friend uh, this week. And um, this week, you know, been thinking about all the, you know, fun things we did together and all the, all the stories And um, you think when you have a close friend, you know, you think about how much you have in common. You know, you have the same interests, you like some of the same foods, and you just really enjoy the company. And you always have all these great stories that no one really knows about and no one else understands. But there's a closeness that you have with that friend. And that's truly what it means to be connected to God. That you see Him as a real person. And you have a real relationship with Him. And if we have that relationship with God, if we truly regard Him and as our friend, if we truly regard Him as a person, then when those times of testing come, We will stay true to him because we know deep down inside that God is real. God is powerful. And God will do exactly what he says. Jesus tells it like this. He told the story after the Sermon on the Mount. And after he had finished speaking all these words, he came to the time of invitation, and he says this. You know, A man who hears these words that I speak, words against self-righteousness and words for trusting in the Lord, if you truly hear these words, anyone who hears these words and does them is like a man who builds his house on the foundation. And it says that anyone who hears these words and does not obey these is like a man who builds his house on the sand. And the storm comes, and the winds blow, and the man who built his house on the rock stands, but the foolish builder's house fell. And the Scripture says how great is the fall you know, we can have a relationship with the Lord and we can look on the outside like we have strong foundations. That someone whose heart is for God and someone whose isn't, we could look just the same. We could sing just as fervently as church. We could go as many times and maybe the Lord would even do the same things through us. But eventually, but eventually that storm comes. Eventually that test comes. And it's at that point where the difference is showed. When those wind blow, when the wind blows and the rain falls, we truly find out who we are. When the Lord exposes us to that testing, do we truly have a heart for the Lord? And I pray that all of us here are wise builders and have set their heart and have set their hope on the Lord. But I know that there may be people here this morning who have what appears to be a solid relationship with God. But ultimately, from the very beginning, it has that fracture. And it's destined to break at the first time of testing. I pray that we seek in our hearts and our lives to be truly after God's own heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the many things that you've blessed us with. Lord, we just thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, during this time of invitation, Lord, that we'll search our hearts and say, Lord, am I truly after you? And Lord, if we're facing a time of trial in our life, Lord, that we trust in you and we just allow you to guide us through. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.